0: Welcome to a random walk, the podcast that attempts to make certain financial concepts and professions approachable. We want to strip away complexity and focus on the first principles that drive success. My name is TJ Aboop. I carry the illustrious title of chief investment officer for Access Ventures, a private operating foundation. Now, most episodes will have a co-host. This person is likely a friend of mine with little knowledge of the topic, but a curious mind. On today's episode, we cover the mystery that is a family office. We are joined by Rick Rock, the chief investment officer of the Caprock Group, a firm that specializes in advising family offices. Rick discusses the most important aspects of running a successful family office business. He also shares his own personal story of being an early employee at eBay and the impact that exit had on how he viewed himself and ultimately money. This is an experience that helps him better serve his clients today. Okay. Let's dive in. I am sitting across from Ben Terry.
1: I'm sitting across from TJ. And
0: <laughs> you know, late to the to the taping. Not surprised by that. And so, introducing yourself one that's a great way to start. You're yep. late, but why were you late? What could you do? The talent.
1: The <laughs> talent always comes late. I didn't want to show up, and like you guys were still trying to put things together. But in typical fashion, I got here, and you you needed me to get these things together. But uh who am i my name's ben terry i'm joining tj's first episode of the podcast we'll see we'll see what happens only uh let's see i've worked with tj at access ventures for the past couple of years uh i now run uh, a venture firm called hidden ventures that's focused on investing in early stage startups building tools for creatives i'm trying to build a creative ecosystem and the venture firm is one type of capital we're deploying. The other type is uh, philanthropic capital, grant capital into emerging artists. Um, and that's another project that I'm working on called Mosaic. And yeah, just trying to help creatives thrive. I am trying to learn more and more. I'm creative at heart and somehow stumbled into the the finance investing grant. I For the longest time, you guys used to say capital and I was trying to figure out which state you were talking about <laughs> and now i use capital regularly as the different type of tools of capital that i'm deploying so i feel honored to be here on this podcast talking about capital things
0: well you are a venture capitalist now so maybe you should learn the lingo
1: i i should you know the reality is we're just all insecure capitalists trying to figure out where to put our money and the media says we're going to land this thing like a soft plane and other people are saying we're not even in a plane. So we'll see who knows what's actually going on. Yeah,
0: that's uh that's a good that's a good tee up. Um <laughs> well, you you sure sound like you know what you're talking about. We're going to we're going to chat with uh an expert today on family offices. So Ben, what's a family office?
1: <laughs> what is a family <laughs> office? It's uh I'm trying. I I was going to say it like a joke, but I don't think that's going to hit well. I guess from what I understand, I don't. This is not a good definition, and obviously, I'm not the right person to be asking. But I'm assuming a family office is some sort of uh, a family
0: who has. (laughs) He's looking at me for. I'm
1: trying to. I'm trying to feel my way through the dark here. I know. I know something around the family office. Is either maybe one family or a group of families and they are managing a sort of capital and they have some sort of mission or reason for deploying that capital and they're typically high wealth individuals so it's not like you know any family in this particular high wealth individual families that have pulled their money together I don't know. Tell me. Stop making me look silly on your own podcast and tell me No, That's the point, yeah. right? Which it's is to make to, me look silly.
0: Well, always. Yeah. But no, just like we're going to talk about stuff in the sim- most simplest form.
1: Yeah, I really don't know. I've heard it. I've heard it said. I probably even work at one. I don't even know.
0: <laughs> yeah, We do operate like a family office <laughs> sometimes. Um, so are
1: you going to answer it or are we just going to leave
0: it? Leave no, it? I'm not going to look like a fool. You're going to
1: wait for our guest to actually... Okay. That sounds good. So, anyways, TBD. That's why you're the talent.
0: You know, you get everybody warmed up.
1: But am I am I close? Am I heading in the right direction? I mean,
0: families are involved, so you are you're very near target. Okay. Um, Well, that that brings us to Rick Rock, who is the expert Mm -hmm. in a lot of things. And if we had more time, I think we would just let him speak just untethered. But uh, Rick is in the family office business. So, Rick, tell us who you are and answer Ben's question.
1: <laughs> what is a family office? <laughs> well, And is it mainly you just doing counseling between families and their money? <laughs> well, look,
2: there's always an element of uh, counseling involved when you're talking about money. But hey, I, I appreciate the invitation to join you guys today and to talk about uh, family office and investing and the things that uh, I find so endlessly interesting. The uh, I am the chief investment officer for Caprock. Caprock is a family office that serves many different families. Uh, we manage over eight billion dollars, and we work with about two hundred and fifty families. Uh, I, if I was asked the question of what is a family office, I'd probably start and say in the late eighteen hundreds, when uh, there were just considerable amounts of wealth being aggregated from in large families. So think Rockefellers and think J.P. Morgan uh, you know, folks, uh, like that, um, they had so much wealth, they were trying to figure out what to do with it. And so they created internal structures to manage wealth. And over time, those families have multiple generations and it sort of evolved into a, uh, homegrown solution for raising children to think about wealth, how to manage wealth, what the responsibilities of wealth were, how to transfer from one generation to the next very efficiently. And so in many regards, this is an industry that's been around for 140 plus years now. Uh, more recently, in the last 30 or 40 years, this concept of family office and opening it up to many families so that smaller uh uh, families that maybe don't have enough money to have their own investment-focused uh, professionals can tap into the same sort of professionalism that a billionaire can can access. So if you've got a billion dollars and you want to hire an investment team that caters only to your needs, fantastic. If you don't have a billion dollars but you want the same sort of professional advice and management that a billionaire might uh, be able to Acquire on their own. You would use a firm like Caprock, uh, and we call ourselves a family office or a multi-family office.
0: So, do billionaires do they want a team to cater to their investment whims, or do they? Well, have I think other billionaires
1: always want people to cater towards their needs. So, the question: What? What is your question? Because, of course,
0: they want the catering. Well, sure, but in this particular area, because some folks they make they become billionaires mm-hmm. um, just through entrepreneurial efforts. Not exactly, you know, they're not necessarily financiers.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you have amassed a great deal of wealth, you sort of outgrow the solutions that traditional money center banks offer. So if you think of the Goldman Sachs or the Morgan Stanleys, uh, they are uh, captive organizations. They have limitations on what they... Uh, can recommend to their clients. Uh, they don't see the whole balance sheet. Uh, their fee structures are oftentimes conflicted. And so uh, people with significant wealth want to have a wide open investment field. They want somebody who's going to be sitting on the same side of the table with a lot of alignment to invest their money. And uh, so that's where, whether you're a billionaire, and you want to think about hey how can i be more catalytic or how can i be more uh, risk and return seeking than i can get from a traditional money center bank uh, you might consider bringing those investment professionals in house and that's what mm. caprock can do for the families that we serve is maybe you've got 20 million or 100 million or 500 million Not enough to set up your own family office, single family office, but working with a group like Caprock, you can bring that professionalism to your balance sheet and alignment and access that the very wealthy achieve.
1: So what I'm learning is the family office isn't actually an office for the billionaire family, but a family office is like Caprock, which is an office for families to be able to hire you all to be able to kind of manage and give advice and thoughts on, on where to kind of deploy their money and manage it for them. Is that kind of.
2: Yeah, it's probably, it's probably a really important clarification. You know, when you go back to those old storied names, uh, like the Rockefellers and you think about what did their family offices become, they rolled in a lot of services that were unique to that family. So for example, if you're a, a very wealthy family and there's 20 homes, you know, they might do property management. Uh, they might uh, schedule your personal jet. They might take the dog for a walk, right? Um, and so, a family office in the traditional sense grew into becoming many things to the families that they served, and that's because they were captive, and there wasn't really a um, a uh, profit loss line to manage. This was what does the family want and need, and yeah. how can we provide that? So when you disaggregate into from a single family office that doesn't have to think about their expense line, and then you go more toward the multifamily office, like a, a CapRock, where we serve wealthy families, we're not really um, in the business of meeting those concierge needs of property management or taking Fifi for a walk or scheduling your travel, uh, we're going to be more singularly focused on helping you uh, kind of sharpen up and define what your objectives are for the wealth that you've created, and then understand what is the strategic long-term asset allocation that's going to help us achieve those objectives, and then what are the tactics that have to be uh, executed on inside the portfolio to achieve it and beyond the investments there's a lot of other things in terms of the tax planning assistance the estate planning uh, talking to the next generation but it's going to be more investment focused and less personal concierge focused
0: well one of the things that i heard a few minutes ago is that there's a concept where if you have 500 million dollars you still don't have enough for something (laughs) so um rick as we as you think about the business of a family office a lot of the stuff you just mentioned, tax planning, um, you know, the different services that you provide, just purely with financial focus, it gets it gets complex and confusing very fast. Can you just distill down what um, what makes a family office like CapRock successful? What are the key things that you have to manage to know we're, we are a successful firm?
2: Yeah, I think I'd boil it down into three big buckets of things that allow somebody like Caprock, a firm like Caprock to be successful, and advisors and professionals like myself to be successful. And the first bucket is sort of the permission to play attributes, right? Like you need to understand the markets, you need to understand the asset classes, uh, you need to know how to execute the mechanics of portfolio construction and management, everything from making investments, to meeting capital calls, reconciling distributions, managing the in the, the flow of tax information, all that is sort of like if you don't if you can't do that then you don't belong in this business.
0: So that's table stakes. Those are
2: table stakes. Uh, the second bucket I would say is and this is core to who Caprock is and different firms have different approaches in this area, but I would say that what we do so well is alignment and access. And that is you can know everything in the first bucket, but you want to make sure that you are aligning your success and your business objectives with the families that you serve. Because you don't ever want to find yourself in the same situation that traditional broker-dealers do, which is the advice I'm giving is conflicting, conflicted out by the fee structure so that I have to fight against my own interest to do what's in the best interest of the families, right? So alignment is important. And that typically comes down to how do you charge fees and who do you collect money from? So at Caprock, Hmm. we only accept money from our clients. That's the only person we work for. We have a strict fiduciary responsibility to our clients, which means that we always have to consider what is best for them and Surprisingly, that is not uh, how fiduciary responsibility works at some place like Goldman Sachs, and um, and then I would say access. Like you can do all the things in that first bucket well, but if you can't get access to the best managers to execute on the investment themes that you're identifying, then you're going to end up with subpar returns. So. Uh, That would be sort of the second bucket is alignment and access. And then the third thing I would say is really going to come much down much more to the individual that is practicing in this business. And that is that you have to have the right emotional temperament and interest in working with the families that you serve to help them accomplish really important life-changing things, right? You have to care about those families, you have to want to see them become more successful. You have to be able to listen to what is important to them and how do you align their portfolios with their values. You have to be interested in bringing simplicity to complexity and, uh, and be able to do those things in a way that engender trust and help your families feel like they have a better understanding of what their portfolio is designed to accomplish and how it's achieving that uh, through good communication. So, I'd say those mm-hmm. are the three big buckets that I would talk through.
1: That That's really interesting, because I think the trust and working with the families, You, we kind of hinted at the counseling aspect earlier, like you really have to kind of know them and serve their needs. And when I think of like hedge funds, even like some of the shows that I watch about hedge funds, it's very cutthroat. They're not thinking about the families or their needs, they're thinking about getting the most money. And I I bring that up to say, you know, one of the headlines on Bloomberg yesterday was family offices with on tech rally as hedge funds get boost. Do you interpret that as family offices being conservative for the families and protecting them and hedge funds being risky and trying to capitalize as much as possible? Or do you also see like family offices in having to understand the needs and take care of the families or also having to understand the economy and the markets and make the best decisions at the same time, too?
2: Well, I think family office is one of those abused terms. And, um, you know, really is, you know, a family office can mean different things to different people. But at its core, I would, my interpretation of what a family office's responsibilities are going to include is going to be not thinking about the daily ups and downs of the markets, but really getting above the uh, daily market moves to understand what are the big cyclical and secular trends in society? How do those match up or how are they at odds with what the family's objectives are? And, you know, when you step back and you think about money, money is very emotional. And so a big part of our job as advisors is to come alongside those families and educate them in a way that they can ride through the inevitable ups and downs of markets with a degree of confidence because that comes from knowing that their portfolio has been constructed very intentionally and designed to do deliberate things. And so when the markets are up or the markets are down or stocks are up, but real estates down, there are very few surprises. And, uh, you know, it's uh, bringing bringing your families along so that they can have a broader view of the portfolio so they can look past those headlines because they know that that doesn't apply to them. It applies to the retail investor that doesn't have a strong anchor in what they're doing.
0: So, <clears throat> Rick, going back to the three uh, main buckets that you mentioned, one, if I, if I could read them back to you, one, you just have to be professionally competent. There's a lot of different services you provide, investments that you make. You just generally have to know what you're doing. Then the second one, if I'm starting a firm, making sure that I have a if you win, I win kind of structure. And um, I also have access to really alpha generating investments. I, I can get into the best funds for my clients. And then lastly, just the ability to work with families, um, diverse families, different needs, different personalities, just being able to navigate the the soft skills, the personal side. Is that, is that, you know, a summary of those three buckets?
2: Yeah, I think so. And y- you know, for that third bucket, I probably left out two things. Uh, one is to do those things and enjoy it, right? Um, and enjoyment is important because out of enjoyment comes a lot of curiosity as well. And like I said at the top, like this is an endlessly fascinating business. Uh, there's almost nothing that happens in this world that doesn't affect the financial markets in one way or another. And so, if you are a curious person, if you've got career ADD, like this can be a fantastic uh, uh, career for you because every morning is different. You never know if you're going to walk in and you're going to be dealing with war or tsunamis or a banking crisis or you know whatever it is, but something's going to be happening. And so, if if you can enjoy those things uh, and you can be curious and bring those to the benefit of your family, that's a that's going to allow you to be successful in this industry.
0: I've never heard the term career ADD. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've been diagnosed with that, <laughs> if you look at my resume. Um, OK, so you you landed on these three things. They say, OK, as I manage CapRock or any endeavor like this, these are the, the three things that are most important to manage. So we, we typically learn these things um, Through failure. Our conviction grows stronger and stronger as we realize these are the key things. Are you able to share what are some of the failures that led to these as convictions?
2: Yeah, so I tell my wife all the time that I love getting older because, uh, you know, if you're curious and you're learning and you're willing to be, you know, retrospective and introspective enough to uh, look at both successes and failures. you know, you really want to try and not make the same mistake twice. Um, I was very fortunate early in my career that I was uh, early at eBay. In fact, when I joined eBay, there were just 30 people. It was pre-IPO, helped build that company into the public company that, uh, that it's become. And as a result of being there uh, at the time of the IPO, it became necessary for me to learn how to manage wealth. And I started out just like everyone else does. Uh, you know, I put in place a, uh, a relationship with Goldman Sachs, and then I uh, got a little nervous and added a second one and a third one. And then I started doing my own hedge funds and, and real estate investments and got into biotech investing and venture. And I had some wins and I had some losses. I call the I call my losses the uh, tuition to the School of Hard Knocks. Um, It's a it's a great way to learn, but it's an expensive way to learn. Uh, And those lessons all help shape me in how I approach families today and uh, and how I train up people in our firm to um, really come alongside and partner with families for portfolio construction.
0: So having experienced just what it's like to be in the family um, position and just really just the temptations of I need to be doing this or I need to be doing that. Y- you've done that and you've, uh, you've experienced some, some lows that have brought forth maybe a little bit more of a, a wisdom approach that you can put forward. Um, anything on the temperament side? I, so Ben hinted at it as well, but like the counseling aspect of this is just fascinating to me.
2: Yeah. You know, When you've done this for as long as I have, um, you do see a lot of repeating cycles, right? Pattern recognition is important, whether you're talking about market cycles or human psychology. And so, you know, I know some of the things that new wealth is going to be confronted with, like somebody who is at a tech company that has achieved significant wealth in a very quick amount of time, uh, I know some of the emotions that they're going to go through. They're going to go through the period of time when they're feeling very fortunate. They're going to uh, probably uh, go through a cycle where they're trying to figure out what does this money mean about me? Does it make me taller and better looking and more deserving? Uh, and you know that's usually a, a tough period of time of being around people with new wealth. And then they start to come back down to a, uh, a more normal setting of, uh, you know, understanding that money doesn't really change who you are. It might change some of the options that are available to you in life uh, or how you have to think about things, but it doesn't change fundamentally who you are. And so I've been through some of those cycles and I think it's an area where I can come alongside uh, individuals. And then, you know, as uh, as you work with families, uh, married couples, um, you know, just because you're married doesn't mean you necessarily have the same risk profile or thoughts on spending. Uh, and sometimes I joke when I'm sitting down with my clients and, and we're trying to make decisions about what to do in the portfolio that uh, marital counseling costs extra because you <laughs> are... At the intersection of very intimate conversations, um, uh, important conversations, they are about value. They are about, excuse me, values. It is about uh, relationship and respect and empowerment. And it's very easy to trip, you know, for one spouse to inadvertently trip up the other spouse uh, with words. And so, yeah, there's, there's a great deal of... Being able to come alongside and have the right temperament to walk people through decision making in a way that allows them to both feel, in the case of a married couple, both feel uh, empowered and bought into a, uh, uh, an approach to managing their wealth and the objectives they want to achieve over time um, and to help them respect each other and what's important to them in that process.
0: It's one of those things where, yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking, how do you interview for that person? <laughs> but, um, so we've known Caprock for a long time and you guys have grown a lot in a short period of time. It coincides with when we showed up, but I don't think that's uh, the catalyst. It could be, <laughs> you can tell me that off the air. Um, but <clears throat> Your firm has grown a lot in AUM and in personnel. You're still managing these three main buckets. So what are the the KPIs for something like that? How do you keep your finger on the pulse of these three things that you need to be successful?
2: Look, Any entrepreneur out there knows how challenging it is to build a business. And so, um, you know, first of all, at the personal level, trying to keep that right balance between family life, home life, and sanity and work is really important. Uh, and we try to achieve that. Sometimes I probably go too far on one end of, um, you know, maybe, maybe being a little bit too consumed by work. But I think as a firm, we try to um, encourage balance because what we do when we're in the office is very demanding. The um, And so when people are off, we want them to be able to um, truly, be off and re, be reinvigorated when they come back into the office. Uh, as the business has grown, how do we um, push those values down? How do we push those skill sets down? Um, you know, the it's uh, it requires me and my partners, who I founded the firm with, to take on slightly different roles. Like we we are becoming. More, uh, you know, originally we were players, then we're player coach. I think increasingly we're becoming coaches, right? And we are bringing up the next generation of advisors, bringing up the next generation of investors at the firm to help them uh, achieve uh, the same sort of orientation toward both the IQ and the EQ elements of our job to be successful, because uh, if it's just on, you know, Rick and Bill and Mark to my co-founders and I to continue doing more to grow the business, we're going to burn out. So we really have to change our focus to, uh, uh, having an effective transmission mechanism so that the things that I know and the things that my partners know can be fully absorbed by the next generation. And that is a challenge for every young organization. And I think it's something that we're doing a pretty good job at, but we come in every morning and we kind of feel our way through it as best we can.
1: And where do you find like this next generation of advisors? Like, is this like financial advisors are like the minor leagues and you're calling them up to the big leagues when they start working at a family office or what's the profile of those sort of advisors?
2: Yeah, I would say that's one of the most challenging parts of this business is that Look, there's, uh, you know, financial advisors are a dime a dozen. They're all over the marketplace. Um, but many of them come from firms where, quite frankly, they've, they've been taught bad habits, right? They haven't operated in an environment of extreme alignment like we want, where you're trying to squeeze conflicts Um and lack of objectivity out of the business Uh, most firms are actually built with conflicts in place because it's very profitable Um, a lot of firms don't have the rigor of working across across asset classes like we do Um, or they are uh, you know many firms really smart friendly people but they they don't really can't go deep on asset classes they don't have the knowledge base to be More than just a relationship manager. And we count on our people to be um, high IQ, able to go deep into multiple asset classes. So uh, that makes it challenging from a business growth perspective. Uh, We have to um, really focus on um, hiring people that have uh, a similar orientation. About alignment and access and asset classes uh, and a value system where we think they can be successful and so it's it's a challenge it's something that I think we are learning to do better and faster uh, we did take in a growth equity round uh, from TA Associates they've been fantastic partners we did that about 16 months ago it's allowing us to grow more quickly add advisors uh, at a faster pace And I think we are basically building on the first 17 years of our experiences so that here in our 18th year, uh, we can do a better job of communicating and passing those values down.
0: I like that patient approach with the advisors. I can say firsthand, I've learned a lot from you and some of the folks that uh, have come alongside us because you're right that there is so much here that's not typical kind of retail advisement. And that's a whole nother podcast, which is how how can you be successful as an institutional investor as opposed to a personal investor? But um, Rick, thank you for the time today. I feel like I can walk in and start a family office. I won't just (laughs) because I don't have the professional competence. That's the one leg of the stool I just don't have, Rick. So don't worry. How many family offices
1: are there? Like, is this a pretty big competition like i imagine there's it's pretty like small consolidated i mean do you think there's like what a hundred two hundred thousand how many are we worth talking about here Uh, that's
2: a great question it's probably at least a thousand um the uh you know we are in the top 100 i think we're in the top 60 at this point uh so there's you know 59 firms that have more than eight billion dollars under management uh so it's a you know we're a when you think about global GDP um, and global assets, it's well over 100 trillion dollars. Uh, a lot of that is in the hands of uh, you know wealthy families, and they all need really smart advice. And so, when we look at the opportunity set for a firm like CapRock, uh, we know that most of the firms that are out there are are really they are. Um, lifestyle businesses they are individuals that this is what they do they're not really going to grow a lot they're going to keep it pretty simple stay focused on stocks and bonds and they're not going to really do private investments or real estate and things like that that's not who we are um, our our focus is really competing for uh, to provide valuable services to large families those top 100 and uh, it's, so it's uh you know, if you wanted a, a big circle, it's probably thousands. Um, in terms of who mm-hmm. can really do what we do, it's a, it's a pretty small number.
1: What family would you love to like, catch? Like, if you had to put a hook out there right now, what mil- billion-dollar family would just be so nice to bring into the Caprock family?
0: We'll put this on the banner. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, Let's manifest it.
2: A family <laughs> who has a healthy relationship with money where they um, they recognize that uh, wealth is useful, but it doesn't define who they are. And mm. for people who uh, want their wealth to accomplish more than just compound interest. So I want to work with families who um, want to use money as a tool to accomplish something in this world, uh, rather than just use it as a measuring stick for their own personal uh, yeah. self-worth. And uh, so any family that uh, that meets that criteria, we're a grand, we're a fantastic fit for.
1: That's awesome. And if you come across any of them that are passionate about the arts, you and I should just connect together about that.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Great. Well, thanks, Rick, for joining us. Um, really appreciate this and then just the friendship over the years.
2: Oh, TJ, it's been great getting to know you and all the folks at Access Ventures and uh, Ben, good to talk with you again too.